have shown that video before, <clears throat> but I was went down and hung out with Caleb this weekend, went to an Aggies game yesterday, and while I was studying, it's kind of funny to be on A&M's campus studying my sermon for today, um, just felt like I was supposed to come back to that video, because that's the story of new life, right? I mean, we, we admit we're broken, we admit we're messed up, but, but the only way that we do something beautiful with our lives is when we do it together. Satan wants to isolate us, um, Satan wants us to walk away, and, and I, know, I know there's stuff that happens, I know there's divorces that happens, there's all kinds of stuff, but, but God's not so interested in your past, he's interested in your future. And So I came in yes, uh, this morning early, and I sat right down there, and just, God, I just got emotional watching the video, because, you know, anybody can quit. It takes a special power to keep going um, when the odds are against you. So we want to be that church where no matter what has happened in your past, this, this is the place you, you need to come because we want, to, we want to love you just like you are. God loves you just like you are. He loves you too much to leave you like you are. And so that's why we're going through this whole transform thing. So today um, we're, we're he- heading in another area. We're on our fifth area. So far, we've looked at spiritual health, your physical health, your mental health. Last week, we looked at emotional health. Today, we're going to tackle your relational health. And I need a little bit of help. So I want somebody to remind me what Genesis 1-1, the very first uh, verse in the Bible, what does it say? In the beginning, if you believe that, in the beginning, God, if you believe that, you don't have any problem believing the rest of the Bible, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes through for the next 25 verses, talks about all the things that God created. And then in verse 26, God says, let us create man in our image. So God created human beings to love and to be in relationship with him. And you know the story, but when God made Adam, he put him in the garden of Eden and everything was good at the end of every day. It was very good. The only thing that was not good in the garden of Eden was what man was alone so God created Eve he made he made Adam fall asleep he took a rib from Adam's side made Eve to correspond to his needs and and Janie and I talk about this I talk about this a lot of times in in weddings God rescued Adam from his aloneness by creating Eve she corresponded to his needs and they had this perfect paradise and and they were the only couple who had no sin. They had a perfect relationship because there was no sin. But when sin entered, it changed everything, didn't it? Satan comes to Eve, and, and I, this is all, you know, when I, when I learn this stuff, relearn this stuff, it, it, it jumps out at me. Satan comes to Eve, and he said, didn't God say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? This is how he starts. He plants a seed of doubt. And, and God didn't say that. God didn't say they couldn't. In fact, God said everything is, is, is okay. Everything you can have except one tree. It was the minimum, the minimum restriction. Satan says, didn't God say you can't, can't eat from any tree? No. God said we can't eat from this one tree. And, and so why would God do that? Why would God limit us in this world? Well, the simple answer is God wanted us to choose to obey him. When you choose God, it's love. When someone chooses you, one of the coolest things, you know, we always love it when, when we see people get engaged because somebody chose somebody else and, and, you know, you're waiting for the dude. We're always like, did you say yes? You know, because if you don't say yes, if you just stand there and look at us, we're, we're kind of worried. But it's, it's cool when somebody chooses you. And so God chose, God wanted us to choose to obey him. Jesus in the New Testament said, if you obey me, you love me. If you love me, you obey me. So love equals obedience in the kingdom of God. Satan comes though and says, God's lying to you. God knows that if you eat from this 
fruit of this tree, you will be like him. You're going to be a God. And really, this is the basis of every temptation that we face is because Satan tempts us to be in charge. We want to be in charge. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. You don't want anyone telling you what to do. When we buy the lie, then we sin. Because what he says is, God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. God's out of date. God's old-fashioned. He doesn't want you to be happy. So you need to choose what makes you happy because you know it better. And see, Eve fell for this lie. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter three, verses six, uh, starting in verse six. So he told her all this stuff. Eve, Eve falls for it. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was where with her. All right. Yeah. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Nakedness. There'd never been shame in the world before. Shame entered when they chose to sin. So they sewed fig leaves together, which sounds like a great idea, to cover their nakedness. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Now, in this very first story, the very first couple, we're going to find three fears that attack every relationship. From that moment until now, there's three fears. So let's jump in. Let's figure out what they are. They ruin relationships. Number one is the fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure makes me distant. Why can't I get close to people? I'd like to be closer to my wife. I'd like to be closer to my spouse, my husband, whatever. I'd like to have intimacy. Why can't I get that intimacy that I've always wanted? It's because your fear of exposure makes you distant. Honestly, there's some things in you that you don't like. And you think if you don't like those things about yourself, you can't possibly let any, someone else see them because they're not going to like them either. And you're afraid you're going to be rejected. So you hide. You keep your distance. Because you can impress people from a distance. You can only influence people up close. And if people choose to walk away from you, that's rejection. You can't handle it. They're going to see your blemishes. They're going to see your weaknesses. And so we keep people at a distance. Fear of being exposed for who we really are causes us to hide. Now look what happens in verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man. Remember, they heard him and they hid. He says, where are you? When God asks you this question, when he asks Adam this question, God knows where he... When he asks you the question, where are you today? He knows where you are. He's wanting you to recognize where you are. So look what happens. The man answered, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. God's wanting Adam to accept responsibility because transformation in your life does not happen until you own up to who you are. See, if you think that your marriage is good enough, your marriage isn't going to get better. If you think your friendships are good enough, your, your friendships aren't, aren't going to get better. If you think your small group is good enough, it's not going to get better. If you think your church is good enough, it's not going to get better. When you live in denial, nothing changes. You have to own up to where you are. So God's asking you today, where are you? I want you to circle. I put this on your listening guide. I want you to circle two phrases of three words. I was afraid, circle that, and circle, so I hid because they go together, right? I put that on your listening guide, right? Hello? So write down, I was afraid, so I hid. Six words. They go together because anytime you're afraid of something, afraid of being exposed, you're going to run and you're going to hide. So God's asking you today, 
Where are you? What are you hiding from because of fear? What are you neglecting? You're pretending not to know. What's a problem in your marriage that you're not owning up to? What's, what's a problem in your friendships that you're not owning up to? One of your deepest needs is, be, is to be loved. One of your greatest fears is the fear of being seen for what you really are. You can live with a husband or wife for 50 years and them not know who you really are because you're hiding from them because you're so desperate to keep from them what you don't like in yourself. So I'm going to tell you real quickly the, the, the damage that fear does. There's three stages or three phases of fear. First one is shame. We saw that in the verse. When, as soon as they ate and their eyes were open, they saw their nakedness, they were ashamed. Anytime you disobey God, you, you, shame enters into your relationship with God. And, and when you carry shame, you fear embarrassment more than anything else. And you'll try almost anything not to let anyone know that because you're so afraid you're so uh, worried about being embarrassed. And really, when, when you're embarrassed, when, when you're trying to hide from other people, that ought to be a warning sign to you that something's wrong. You're carrying shame, and God never intended you to carry shame. Your life's not going to work when you're carrying that shame and, embas- and, and embarrassment. You have to share it with God and with someone else. So the first thing is shame. Phase two is cover-up. Now, in verse 7, what did they use to try to cover up their nakedness? Fig leaves. Now, I don't know if you've seen fig leaves. They can be anywhere from the size of your hand to a little bit bigger than your hand. That's not very big. Some of us are going to take more fig leaves than others if we're going to cover up. Wow. See, y'all got to have some more caffeine before you come to the 930 service because you got to wake up. Now, we don't use fig leaves today, right? What do we use to try to cover up? Uh, y'all said a bunch of things, but let me tell you what I came up with. We use humor. You know, people that'll crack a joke so that they, oh yeah, they'll make fun of themselves so that you laugh, but really they're hurting on the inside. Um, have you seen folks who, who actually, instead of fig leaves, they, they wear designer stuff. By the way, did you see my shirt? This is true now. I have survived the great bluebell famine of 2015. I've had two bowls. I had, uh, somebody brought it up here Wednesday night and I ate it for supper and I just, all was right with the world. I was no longer fearful that I would not survive. So I can wear this shirt proudly. Got this for my birthday. I wore it once. And I said, this is a lie. Now I can wear it in all honesty. I have survived. A lot of people will, will wear clothes and they have this image or they'll drive the right car because they're so afraid you're going to figure out who they are. Some people hide behind their online image. Have you noticed this? If you read their Facebook status or Instagram, whatever, their life is perfect and everyone wants to date them. They're hiding. After shame comes cover-ups. And then the last thing, the last phase is you run away. You, you put distance between you and God. They hid from God among the trees, which is pretty funny. But here's the thing. Every time you have fear in your relationship with God, it eats at every other relationship in your life. So the first thing is fear of being discovered that, that makes me distant. Second thing is fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Oh yeah, now we're going to get down to it. This is where I stop hiding and I start hurling insults at others. This is where I stop excusing my actions and I start accusing you of causing my actions, right? I point fingers at everybody else. And here's something you need to know. The more critical a person is, the more they fear disapproval themselves because this is how it shows up. 
Let's, let's see how it happens in verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asks. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man took it like a man and says, it was the woman you gave me. And really it wasn't even the, he wasn't blaming the woman. He's saying, God, if you hadn't given me the woman, you and I'd be like that. But she seduced me. She was naked and she had fruit. What's a guy to do? And ladies, I, I, I got to tell you, she didn't, she didn't step up either. Eve didn't. Because what she do? Look what she says. Verse 13. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. It's a good thing that God knew that there was literally a serpent there because she could have been talking about her husband. The serpent. Yeah, y'all, that's actually a nicer name than some of y'all have called your husbands before. I know. That serpent, he deceived me. That's why I ate it. Adam blames his wife. Eve blames the snake. And it happens in marriages all the time, doesn't it? Guys, I'll speak from a guy's perspective. Your wife says something that has a hint of disapproval, and what do you do? You, you either excuse or you accuse or you change the subject. You do something because you're so worried about being discovered that it makes you distant. There's a third fear that ruins relationships. It's the fear of losing control makes me demanding. Now, the result of, an Adam, of Adam and Eve's Sin is they lost control of everything. The reason they felt like they weren't in control is because they weren't. They lost control of their destiny. They lost control of where they lived. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, and here's, here's the truth about you and me. The more out of control we are, the more we try to control others. You start bossing everybody around. You make demands. You start protecting yourself. You start defending, demanding, demeaning, dominating. The more insecure you are, the greater your need to control others, to get your way. Because if you're a secure person, you don't have to. You don't always have to get your way. If you're an insecure person, you have to have your way. Look what happens in verse 16. God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Um, Even childbirth is broken now because of sin. There's going to be pain in childbirth. Any ladies want to give a little testimony? I saw veins pop out of Janie's head that I didn't know she had when she was having babies. And I was grateful to God that I was a man. She's tougher than I am. I couldn't, I couldn't have a baby. You ladies, I'm... Uh... Now, he says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, this is the New Living Translation. There's a lot of debate about this. Some, some commentators say this desire means you're, the woman will love her husband even though he will dominate over her. But if you look at the context, there's a lot of other commentators that say her desire, go back to what just happened. She took the fruit... She stepped out from underneath the authority of her husband because the husband has the spirit. He's the spiritual head of the house. She stepped up out from underneath authority. She gave him the fruit she wanted him to eat because she stepped out from under authority. A lot of commentators say this has to do with she wanted to be in charge because she stepped out from underneath the authority of her husband and she became in charge. Now God says your husband will dominate you. And in fact, that's one of the translations I read was he will dominate you. So in New Living, it says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Did you know that this is where the battle of the sexes began? Right here, the very first couple. All the misunderstandings between men and women, the husband, wives, boyfriends, and, and girlfriends, the confusion, the power struggles, conflict, all goes back to this. And from that moment on, have you noticed that most marriages, at least at some point, look like a competition? I want my way, you want your way. 
Guy wants sex and he's not going to be nice to you unless you have sex. The girl goes, you're crazy. I'm not going to have sex unless you're nice to me. Or whatever the issue is, we struggle for power. And see, it's, we feel like it's a tug of war. God never designed marriage to be a tug of war. God designed you to be on the same team. Because the enemy is not the person that you're married to or the person that you, you are in love with. That's not the enemy, although they seem like a serpent, I know. They're not the enemy. And see, if we, wouldn't it be more fun to fight together instead of fighting against each other? You're fighting on the same team. That's a whole lot more fun. Well, there's an antidote, and, and it's pretty profound. Here it is. It's very simple. Live in God's love. Now, that, I know that sounds simple, but let me tell you why it's so profound, and let me tell you how to do it. First, the why. First John 4, 18, where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. So any place that you're fearful, it means you do not have God's love in that area. Are you, you have fears in your marriage, you need to replace them with God's love. If you have fears in your job, it means you are not close to God in that area. You need to replace your fears with God's love. Got fears with your kids, you need to replace those fears with God's love. Why is it a big deal? Because this verse says that God's perfect love drives out fear. Did you know the opposite of fear is not faith? The opposite of fear is love. When you invite God's love in the front door, fear has to go out the back door because love and fear cannot live in the same house. Perfect love casts out all fear. Have you ever wondered, or, or think about it this way, if, if there's a fire in a building down here, we may stop and watch the fire out of curiosity, but probably very few of us are going to run into that fire. However, if the mama is outside and the baby's inside, the mama will risk her own life to go get that baby. Why? Because her, her love overcame her fear. It became personal then. Now, look what it says. The first thing, that, that God's love casts out fear, but look why we, we are so scared. It is punishment that makes a person fear, so love is not made perfect in the person who fears. The fear of punishment means the negative consequences we assume are going to happen, the what-ifs that we assume are going to happen. How many times have you been afraid to tell the truth because you were afraid of how somebody might respond to you? How many times have you seen something in a friend of yours that you knew was destroying their life, but you didn't tell them the last 10%. You might tell them the stuff that that's generic that everybody sees that they would admit, but you don't go to the last 10% because you're afraid of how they are going to respond to you. Instead of really loving them in the right way and going the last 10%, you skip the last 10%. It's because you are afraid that if you tell them the truth, they're going to reject you. So how do we, what do we do? I told you why, you know, God's love is the, is the perfect way to do this. Let me tell you how to live in God's love. Three choices you got to make every day. First, surrender my heart to God. Every morning when you wake up, sit on the side of your bed and you say, God, I want you to be in control of my emotions. God, I want you to be Lord of my emotions. God, please drive out fear. Fill me with your love and drive out fear. Since God is love, love is a person. It's not a concept. The closer you are to God, to love, the more loving you're going to be. And let me just give you the opposite. The opposite of God is Satan. And so the more fearful you are, the closer you are to Satan because Satan is going to use fear in your life. God's perfect love casts out fear. And I love Job 11, verse 13 through 18, because it tells you three things to do. If you do these three things, you get eight benefits from God. Look what it says. Surrender your heart to God. There's one. Turn to him in prayer. There's two. And give up your sins, even those you do in secret. I thought that was pretty funny. Not just the ones everybody knows about, even your secret sins, because if you do that, you get eight benefits. You ready? The first benefit is you won't be ashamed. Shame entered because of sin. The only way do you get shame out of your life is you confess your sins to God. You come to God. You surrender your heart to God. You won't be ashamed. You'll be confident. You will be fearless. If you're fearful, you're not, you've not surrendered your heart to God. 
Your troubles, I love this one, your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. You will be, uh, you, your darkest night will be brighter than noon, that's five. You will rest safe and secure. You'll sleep better at night. You'll be filled with hope and emptied of worry. So the opposite, if you, have, if you have worry in your life, if you have fear in your life, you've not surrendered your heart to God. Do those things, you get those eight benefits. It all starts with surrender to God. And, and by the way, this is the opposite of the temptation that Satan gave. Because when I surrender my heart to God, I sit and I say, God, you're God and I'm not. You're powerful, I'm not. You know all the answers, I don't. Whereas Satan's temptation is you can be like God. Satan wants you to... to um, Think you're bigger than you are? God says, no, no, I'm big, you're small, surrender. And then you get these eight benefits. Now, second thing, this is how you surrender your heart to God or how you, uh, how you do this. You remember, and I'm going to tell you several things that you need to remember. I have to remember how God loves me or I can't be loving to other people. So I want you to remember several things. First, I want you to remember you're completely accepted. The deepest wounds in your life are caused by rejection So you need somebody to accept you and love you just like you are. Every one of us have been rejected by our parents at some point, and we've been hurt by that. And some of us live the rest of our adult lives trying to get the approval of others, our parents, our peers, even strangers, even people we don't like. We're trying to get their approval. We want the approval of other people. And there's this myth out there that says, if I could just be perfect, everybody would love me. Jesus Christ was perfect, and not everybody loved him. So there's, no matter what you do, some people aren't going to like you. But here's the good news, Titus 3, 7. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us what? Acceptable to God. If God likes me, and I like me, and you don't like me, it's your problem. Right? Now, now I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm saying that, that if, I'm, if I'm a child of God... He has accepted me, and I've accepted my past. I don't want to be that same person, and I'm striving towards, towards God, and you don't like me, that's your problem. If I don't like you, that's my problem. God has made me acceptable. He's made you acceptable. Second thing you remember, I'm loved unconditionally. God doesn't say, I'm going to love you today, but if you have bad breath tomorrow, I'm out of here. If you have a bad hair day, I never have a bad hair day. You should all have hair like me. I never, Rachel burned her shoulder today trying to, I don't have that problem. She burned her shoulder trying to curl her hair. I I just never had that problem. (laughs) I heard of of a little boy who said, I I never knew if my dad was going to hug me or slug me. That's not how God treats you. Inconsistent parents create insecure children. Your heavenly father is perfectly consistent. He loves you the same all the time. Look at Psalm 117.2. It says, for he loves us with an unfailing love. We sing a song. One of my favorite songs we do is One Thing Remains. It says, your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. And then it says, on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. We sing songs about the love of God because it's unfailing. Third thing you need to remember is you're forgiven, totally forgiven. So if you're totally forgiven, it doesn't make much sense to hold on to shame. See, God knew you were going to do those sins before you ever did them, and he still chose you. God knows the things you're going to do in the rest of your life that you don't even know you're going to do, and God still chose you. And, and one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sins have been blotted out if you're a child of God. 
You also remember that you're very valuable. And there's two things that determine the value of something. Who owns it and what somebody's willing to pay for it. Would a t-shirt worn by LeBron James bring more money at an auction than a t-shirt worn by Doug Washburn? Yes. Yes. No. Yeah, whatever. Yes. Would, Would a pen used by Abraham Lincoln bring more money than a pen used by you? Yes. So the owner determines the value. Do you realize in scripture that if you're, if you're a Christian, it says you are owned, you are a part of God's family. You know, the, the oil sheiks in, 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 uh, the Middle East, if their, if their daughter was kidnapped, they would pay any ransom for her because she's a princess. She's a daughter of the king. That's the idea in first Corinthians seven twenty three when it says this, you have been bought and paid for by Christ. When I see Janie as a daughter of the king, I treat her differently. When I see Rachel and Hannah as daughters of the king, I treat them differently. When I see you as a child of God, I treat you differently. Now, you belong to God, but value also depends on what somebody's willing to pay for something. Do you know how much your house is worth? I can tell you how much your house is worth. It's worth however much somebody will pay for it. Why is it people always list their house at this astronomical number and then they come down? I was watching one the other day and, and it came down $45,000 in just a couple of months because nobody was going to pay the price. So I hate to tell you, if nobody pays the price you want for your house, it's not worth that much. So what did God pay for you? His only son. And I've told you this before. It's a good thing I'm not God. Because I don't think I could give my son for you. You are so valuable that God said, I will give up my son to buy you. So you remember those things. And then then once you do that, once you surrender your heart to God, once you remember all these things, there's a third thing you have to do. Otherwise, you become like the Dead Sea where everything comes in and nothing goes out. I offer others what God has given me. The same love that God gives to me, I offer to others. Look what it says in John 13, 34. Jesus was speaking. He says, love each other in the same way that I've loved you. And that's not a suggestion. It doesn't mean I love you if I like you. No, (laughs) there's a command. Whether I like you or not, I'm supposed to love you. And listen to this. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm supposed to love them like Christ loved me. So I'm supposed to accept them completely. I'm supposed to love them unconditionally. I'm supposed to forgive them totally. I'm supposed to consider you as extremely valuable. Just think about if you did that in your relationships, would it change them? Thank you, Miss Yvonne, for having a conversation with me. Yes, it would. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, and then we're going to be out of here. I'll pray it out loud. You just pray it silently. Dear God, I admit that I have made a mess of my relationships. They're broken. They're not what they could be. God, I admit to you that I've often settled for less than best. But would you change me today? Would you transform me today? Deliver me from these fears that I've learned about. I surrender my heart to you today. I want to learn to live like you lived. Would you replace my shame with your love? Would you help me accept others like you accepted me? Would you help me love others unconditionally like you love me? Help me to treat others like you would treat them. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.